What's going on, folks? Thanks for hitting that download button and checking out a brand new episode of Toys and Tech of the Trade, your one-stop shop for toys, tech, and talk with some assembly required. I'm your host, Rich, and if this is the first time you're checking out an episode, first of all, welcome. Thank you for lending me your attention. Second, a bit about what we do here. Toys and Tech of the Trade is an interview series where we sit down with content creators, entrepreneurs, and just great folks that are on our radar to discuss the gadgets, the gear, and the tech that they use to run their business, create content, and even be more productive. Now, when it comes to the toys aspect of the conversation, it's not relegated to the usual stuff you think of when you hear toys like action figures, Barbies, Funko Pops, Gundams, etc. We look at toys in a more general sense. So that knife collection, those are your toys. Those guitar picks that you've picked up from every concert you've attended, those are your toys. So we look at it in a more general sense. Number one, because it allows us to showcase that person's interest. But number two, even in those stories, there's commonalities about things that we all enjoy that allow the conversation to be a little bit more than just business. Of course, there's always business gems in there, but it's always cool to geek out about things that people are passionate about besides their business. Now, usually we do a little bit of housekeeping after this introduction, but I am actually going to change things up this week. We're trying to really streamline and get you folks the conversations you enjoy. This week's guest is coming to us from Noah Kagan's Underdogs Group. And as always, with all of the guests that have come through the podcast from that group, they're always amazing, amazing people. A couple of takeaways from this conversation. Uh, number one, of course, being of service, going out there, trying to make a difference always pays dividends. If you go out there, not necessarily with the motivation to make money, money will find you. The other thing is that sometimes you got to go outside of your comfort zone to make a difference. The guest that we have this week definitely did that. Plus, there's going to be plenty of little gems and things that you can pick up to apply to your business, your entrepreneurial endeavors, and much, much more. So with that said, I'm going to stop running my mouth and I'm going to turn it over to this week's guest so you can learn about the toys and tech of their trade. Enjoy. My guest this week is fellow Noah Kagan underdog community member, Austin Bellino. Austin is the host of Culture to Grow, which is a podcast that showcases and allows people to understand the environment in other parts of the world from a global perspective, whether it's a holiday, whether it's traditions or anything else. Each episode is going to highlight the cultures from around the world and let you see how the other side of the world lives. In addition to that, Austin is a teacher, and we're going to be talking about his experiences as a teacher as well as his work when he was in China, plus much more, and of course, the toys and tech of his trade. Austin, what's going on, my friend? It's going great. Thanks for inviting me here, and I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Yes, I am I'm looking forward to it. You have a an amazing, amazing career path uh, from being a teacher to working in China for you did about two years over there. You were a tutor. You've worked uh, as an ESL teacher. You've been well-traveled and all of it under the umbrella of teaching. And I kind of want to start there. Um, how did you get started? What made you want to become a teacher? And, you know, why why choosing to teach in another part of the world? Yeah, the, the one thing that I was trying to figure out with teaching kind of I ended on that. I will have to say it wasn't the first choice in high school, they, they tell you, pick a major, you know, go to college. 
but they don't really give you the skills or the tools to pick the right one. I thought about camp counselor. Well, that's only a short part-time job in the summers. And what do I do in the fall or the winters? Um, and then I shifted to school counselor and we're just trying to figure out all the pros and cons. And I ended up moving to the teacher routes because I enjoyed working with students, hearing their stories, seeing when that light bulb turns on and they're like, whoa, I get it. Like, it's so cool to be alongside their journey, not doing it for them, but just kind of aiding them enough to let them explore and visit the world. Um, that's kind of like where I got started with teaching. And then I kind of just continued to see where life took me. And that's when I went to abroad and then it kind of shifted to more administration and now global as well. Now, the thing about it is I want to unpack that a little further. As you said, you know, they kind of tell you to pick a major and you go on this career path. What did you want to be when you grew up when you were younger? Well, I wanted to, I love sports. So it was always like, I could, you know, I'm going to practice every day after school and I'm like, I'm going to be a professional baseball player. And as I got older, the reality of things came into effect and said, well, Austin, you're, you're not tall enough. You're not having about double size biceps. So uh, you're going to have to need to probably change your career path. Um, so then I, I kind of decided to look into anything revolving around students, um, either high school or elementary students It kind of wherever the students were most passionate about learning and just trying to find a way to give them more of a spark. Yeah, I think that people people underestimate how important it is to have a good teacher, supportive teacher, or teachers that kind of make you question what's going on in the world. Because you said something very, very important that I want people to focus on, and that is the fact that we don't, we're not taught a lot of things even though we spend years and years and years in school, a lot of what we learn is just based on the academic side of things. And there's very minimal life preparation, but occasionally, occasionally life preparation comes along courtesy of a good teacher that you have that'll say, Hey, this is how the world works. This is what you have to do to be prepared. Do you feel that that's kind of been the culture in the institution of learning that it's always, Hey, we just got to get them ready to go into the world. But we got to get them ready to go into the world from an academic standpoint. And there's a disconnect in getting them ready for the life standpoint side of things. Yes, exactly. I mean, I have a, a two-year-old daughter, so I'm kind of seeing the different toys. And she has this shape sorting box where you have these different shapes going into each compartment. <clears throat> it seems like the education realm is just trying to jam every shape into one little slot. And it's one size fits all, but it's not the reality Things that people have different skills, there's different experiences, backgrounds, uh, and then regarding with money, different situations with resources. And it's just a system is just not designed to allow everyone to find success or also just figure out what they want to do and to find that happiness. Lots of people focus on success as that dollar amount in your bank account, but it's really not the only thing in life these days. I agree. I mean, there's there's physical currency, there's spiritual currency, there's mental currency. And I think that people, they get so caught up in it because we're so we're so pushed. Um, like you said before, being chosen, being told to choose a major. It's kind of like you go through life checking off boxes based off expectations from everybody else. It's like you go to school. Oh, what do I do after I graduate school? Well, you go to college. OK, what do I do after I graduate college? Well, you start working. What about then? Oh, you start a family. And the thing about it is that that path is not necessarily for some people. And more importantly, it's not necessarily a straight line for some people. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, and it's, it's basically like they have these big markers and it just reminded me of like the breadcrumbs when you're following the breadcrumbs to the next thing. But in life, there are no breadcrumbs. They just tell you, go to A and go there. And it's yep. like, but how do I get there? Like, let's just go. It's like, but I need some guidance, right? Where, where are the steps or what is the, the small pieces along the way? And it's, that's where there's a big disconnect. So, you know, I want to talk about your 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 journeys to China and teaching over there. And I want to break down a little bit of how how the 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 methodology of teaching is different from here. And what were some things that you personally needed to adjust to when you embarked on that journey? Because I'm sure when you got over there, you're like, wow, this is really different or this is something that's really different. What are some what are some things that happened along the way that just either made you um sharper when it comes to to teaching or made you really question some of what you've already learned yeah so the one thing even just a little bit before i get to that to give a little bit of backstory right when i graduated uh, i'm from chicago and cps decided to close about 49 schools so at that point i was kind of questioning like education is being closed like they they voted on it like six people voted to make this happen and it was a very i was kind of questioning why or how does this kind of environment even fit for kids and children? We're closing schools. We should be opening more. Right. Um, so that kind of led me to move to China. It was kind of like a very random decision. I, I remember having it with my mom and saying, yeah, I'm going to China next month. And she's like, what? You're, you're just <laughs> joking. Right. And it was like, no, I already put in the paperwork. I'm, I'm going. And it's like, how, what, what did you come to that decision? I just want to kind of see the world through the education side of things and just see how other procedures and things are done there. Um, I have found that there are pros and cons to everywhere you go. There's always the, the amazing things. When I was in China, they respect educators. They respect like students are there, well-behaved. The teacher is kind of almost more important than the parent at times. Um, but then, of course, there's the, the negativity side where maybe cre- creativity lacks, where they're really focused on the test organization. There's a major test every kind of three months, six months as a mile marker. Um, so those are kind of the negative things. But what I had to do was just make sure that I adjust to the students. They're still basic human beings. They they love the same things. Like uh, I know anime was kind of a global thing. So talking about Naruto or Dragon Ball Z with the kids, it didn't matter where they were from. They still have that basic interest of life and love. So it was good to kind of connect with them on that level. That's a great commonality to look at because a lot of times and, you know, there's a, there's a couple of creators, a lot of a lot of Chinese, uh, Japanese or Korean creators that they always do like videos based on education uh, content. But from the perspective of the the parent constantly like, oh, dad, you know, I got an A. Why wasn't it an A plus or I got a B? Uh, and, 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 the, and the skit is the parent, tr- the kid trying to figure out how to tell his parents he got a B. And it's amazing how you're on the front lines and you're like, yeah, you know, everything's very driven on tests and academics. And the thing about it is that you get so good at quote unquote test taking and academics that you forget to be good at living life. Exactly. And the problem is, is with these tests, they fall in love with the subjects that they're good at. It right. doesn't mean that they love it and they enjoy doing it. It's just, I got a hundred percent on the past six years of my academics. So this seems to be the right fit. And it's, there's so much more out there and um, it's always a major problem. How do you how do you balance that when you're there because you're looking at these you're looking at these students and you're seeing 
you know, sparks of creativity or little things. And you're like, man, you know, if this kid really like if you have a kid that's an artist and you see him kind of doodling or doing things, and you're like, man, if you embarked on this, you could probably do something groundbreaking. But then you remember, like, you know, this kid can't go home and tell his parents he wants to be an artist. Yeah, I don't want them telling me my teacher told me to quit this. Yep. And, and do this. So it's like, oh, wait, I didn't say all that. Uh, it's, it's all about just kind of enforcing their their interest, like confidence building and saying like, wow, you actually are really good. Most people that kind of do something like a doodling, they just think it's just kind of like a hobby. Nothing's really being accomplished with it. It's just kind of passing the time. But it's like, no, that's actually really good. Come check out my notebook and how I doodle. It's just a bunch of squiggly lines. So it's kind of like just making sure that you're supporting them, giving them that little bit of personal attention. One minute, 30 seconds, a comment could even take five seconds. Um, it kind of helps them. So then it, it does open the door. They may follow the normal procedure, but then they'll have that minor or they'll have that interest on the side. Maybe they become a YouTuber while they're still doing their normal day-to-day work. So I think it's just helping them try to see that they do have value outside of just the grades. How did that work for you also with interacting with with parents? Because now, you know, here you have this teacher, uh, this foreign teacher instructing my kids. And at the end of the day, even though you're instructing based on a curriculum, there's still personal anecdotes and way that you can make yourself relatable. Because at the end of the day, part of that part of teaching is also teaching people about communication. So you're there um, adding a little bit of, of, of spark of your personal spark to to this curriculum how did that work for you and how did you adapt and did you ever get any pushback on that yeah there's definitely a struggle um like they wanted to ask questions like why aren't you on chapter three when the other teacher is already in chapter three why did you not get as much homework as the other teacher as well so we're always kind of being evaluated right uh, like here in the u.s parents will talk they'll, they'll talk about the things that they like they'll also talk about the things they don't like um, so that's kind of where the comments really focused and pushed me. Um, but at the end of the day, what I told them was, is I'm trying to give them a unique experience. All of these students here in the group, there's maybe 40 students in one classroom, making sure that they all get that individual push. And that is going to require them to kind of follow other paths, which might relate back in. If they're doodling and they love art, then maybe that'll help them with their art class. So always trying to kind of cater it towards the academics in the long run to kind of make the parents happy, but then with the students, just trying to encourage them to do more. Yeah. And I think that's part of it too. I think, and this happens here in, in, in the New York city a lot, sometimes that parents look at uh, the academic or the, or the teachers as, uh, you know, I, I hate to put, use the term like babysitter, but I remember when, when COVID started really taking root here and, you know, kids had to do remote learning and parents were like, yeah, well, you know, I have to work. How are they home? I need them to be in school. And there was a lot of back and forth and a lot of um, discord about that. And teachers also wanted to be safe in the same instance. When, when that happens, how do you, how do you look at that from, from an educator's perspective? Then when the parent kind of leans on the educator to provide more than just instruction, in other words, like you're, you're essentially a, a substitute parent the same way you're, you can be a substitute teacher. Yeah, I mean, there, as of right now, what I see that there's a massive kind of misunderstanding with the expectations from both the parent side and also the teacher side. I mean, typically, if you read in books, parents are the child's first teacher. They see right. them, and I mean, more time than in the classroom, the daily habits, the words that come out, either good or bad, 
children are sponges. They will absorb the great things, but they'll also easily absorb those bad things as well. Absolutely. Um, and, and then on the other side, the, the teachers, the, the parents expect the teachers to kind of take care of their child for the whole time. Like you mentioned, that babysitter mentality, uh, which is not an ideal situation. So when the pandemic happened, it really just adjusted and really messed everything up and kind of created a lot of chaos. And I've seen a lot of kids falling behind uh, because of that period of time. So I can't say that there's like a, a good, clear fix. Um, the internet technology did help with that because they were able to at least get some kind of connection with their teacher. Uh, but a lot was lost during that period of time. What do you feel, you know, just to dig a little deeper, what do you feel could have been done better when that happened in terms of academics? I think it was, one thing would have been is just to be able to have a plan in place uh, for something like this. I mean, you can't always foresee the future, right? Um, but you can always plan for the worst. Uh, I know it does have that pessimistic mindset, but it's better to like try it on, see what failures could occur. So that, of course, it, it does sound like negative Nancy, they always will say as well. Um, but it's, it's all about preparation mode. So kind of being able to try on these different issues and just being able to act much quicker. Uh, some things were kind of we had the plan, but then the technology didn't work or the students didn't have the laptops or the iPads or whatever they were using to access the classrooms. The technology was there. It was just the access to the students and the streamlined process of getting it to them was the hard part. I've, I've been a firm believer of, of, of the statement that, the, in my opinion, the pandemic exposed a lot of inefficiencies in a lot of places. So what happens is, if, if you think about it, you'd go to work, hey, you know, boss, you know, manager, whatever. I think I, I'd, be, I'd like to work from home today. You know, my kid's homesick. Oh, you can't do that, blah, blah, blah. And guess what? You had to work from home anyway. And um, to your point, I think that there was no no action plan in place to even prepare like, hey, what happens if we have to be in a fully remote situation? Because let's let's take it a step further. Sure, the pandemic side of things, you you couldn't have predicted that in, in you know in a hundred years, but the broad strokes of, hey, what if we're in a situation where we have to do remote learning? Maybe, you know, the streets are you know, the streets are damaged or there's a power infrastructure issue or et cetera, and the kids need to be home for their safety. Like even going that broad stroke would have given them a better, better understanding of how to plan than what they did. Am I correct? Yes. And even if they just did it by what happens if it happens on a Friday or one yep. week, like something smaller scale. So then you can always enhance it. I remember sitting in a meeting and they were like you mentioned there about your asking your boss and they were like, well, you know what? We have a solution now for snow days. If it if we have a snow day, <laughs> we just throw on e-learning. I'm like. Yeah, I can see the benefit on your part, but what about the students? Like, come on. So they're always like, they're looking at it from that angle. And I'm like, okay. I mean, sometimes you got to take your educator hat off and kind of be a little bit more, you know, comforting to the students and kind of building that relationship with them. Yeah, I think that one of the, one of the things that happened here, uh, you know, in New York was exactly that. There was a lot of you know, how's my kid going to learn? How's my kid going to get to school? This remote learning thing, this doesn't work. And then to your point, more importantly than even the systems that were being in place, some kids didn't even have the equipment either because, you know, the education system didn't have money to provide it to them or because the kids just came from households where that's just not possible, not feasible. It's like pay the light bill, buy your kid an iPad. 
Exactly. And, but I mean, there were some programs that went above and beyond schools, some curriculum, depending on the districts, I mean, did amazing work. They were able to get students up and running quickly. They provided lunches daily for kids. So there were a lot of great things uh, alongside those kind of the, the negative things that usually take over on the media side of things. Well, that's definitely part of it, too. It's always easier to tell people all the bad news to make them paranoid and scared than then tell them the good news. I mean, you know, for, for, for every one kid that didn't go to school, to your point, there was, you know, 30 kids that were learning like it was like it was just, hey, I, t- I, I, tr- I traded my classroom for my kitchen table. Yeah. And I mean, everyone had to make sacrifices, adjustments, and it, there was some benefit. And hopefully they're able to kind of use this as a massive case study to kind of work on future things that happen that may cause issues. But we have this as a foundation. and. I've seen on like even LinkedIn and job searching sites, they have that hybrid option, fully remote. So it seems like the world is adapting. Oh, absolutely. But I, but like, I, but you know what the funny thing is? They're adapting because they don't want to lose that body or they don't want to lose or it to affect their bottom line. And it's always, it's always crazy to me that innovation has to, it, it, unfortunately, sometimes innovation has to come from a place where somebody's pockets are being inconvenienced and not from a place of, Hey, you know, we'd like our people to be happy or we'd like our kids to be uh, productive. It's like, well, like you just said, and it's funny because that happened here and it was announced recently about the end of snow days. Like they were like, oh, you know, there's no more snow days now with e-learning. Like it was literally in the paper. And I'm like, you guys are proud of this. This is awesome. I'm glad that you're so proud of the fact that you guys will never have snow days, but what about getting kids graduated? What about getting kids yeah. to the to the next grade, getting them promoted, getting them prepared for the for the world out there? You know, yeah, it was like some. I mean, when I was in the meetings, they were just so happy. It was like a light bulb moment. Like we're geniuses, and I'm like, what? Like we're <laughs> missing the big picture here. Yep. You know something interesting that when you sent me your bio, you were talking about, you know, getting your degree at the time of you know, the mass school closings. And the thing about it is that the education system now, you're learning not only to have to adapt to the real world, but obviously the safety constraints that come with learning now, obviously with the rises of, of violence in schools. You know, when you were when you were teaching in China, how did how did they prepare or how were they adjusted for that? And the reason I, I asked this question is because I've noticed that with the advances in technology, the advances of young kids being prone to mental illness or just getting into these dark places is just staggeringly more out there. Or let me rephrase that. It's it's being reported more frequently. Yeah. I mean, with, with all the technology issues and the, the less opportunities to interact with peers or teachers or just human beings due to the pandemic, it kind of shifted the focus um, overseas. It, it's There's definitely more issues in regards to mental health. Um, the problem is, is sometimes it's overlooked. It's, oh, you're just not sleeping right. So just get a good night's sleep tomorrow and, and you'll be back on track. Uh, the support overseas is not necessarily as built up as it is here in the U.S. with all the different programs, the, the additional counselors that may focus on that mental health, um, social emotional learning, all of these kind of components. Um, so they're still gaining traction. It is growing, at least. It, it is The problem is becoming more and more uh, popular students are talking about it. Clubs, which I love to see the students doing the activity. They're creating the club. They're bringing it to the the schools, which is always something I try to encourage and push 
Um, it, it does get into tricky because it, it does link to a little bit of politics. Like, and it's how you don't want to talk about politics. That's right. I grew up in the U.S. It's, it's a, that's the one thing you don't talk about at the dinner table. Um, so it's hard to sometimes everything is twined in when you're working with different cultures. So just kind of talking about more of the emotional, the self uh, interest is the, the main thing that I try to focus on to help them uh, in that regards. How are mental health initiatives um, for students when, when were, were you taught? How was that something that, hey, if you see something, say something like how were how were you? Um, I don't want to say conditioned to approach that, but how would you how would you adapt to that if you notice like, hey, a kid was having difficulty at home or were there things you personally look for, like red flags, markers? And if so, how were you how would you work towards helping to remedy the situation? Because, again, like you said, there's there's that fine line of, you know, educator and and, you know, secondary parent. And then there's the line of just being a good human being like, listen, I noticed this kid is having troubles at home. How do I what can I do to help him or her? Yeah, I mean, the main thing I kind of would focus on is because I am the foreigner, I, I can't overstep my boundaries. I'm technically a guest in this home country. Um, and basically what I would do is observe. I would kind of figure out where is the root problem? Is it seems that there's some type of family issues? Is it students bullying? Is it academic issues? And once I'm able to kind of like isolate, and even if I'm just asking very general questions, like what did you do on the weekend? Or how did you spend time with your parents and getting a very quick response and seeing it was it full in detail or was it just one sentence? Um, and then that kind of helped me get a feel of what needed to be done. Sometimes you can loop in the teachers, the principals. What happens is if you bring it to that next level, you're sounding the alarm. And then what's happening is you're throwing the spotlight on that kid that didn't want the spotlight. That's exactly what he didn't want. Um, so it's trying to navigate the, what the student needs and then also, what is the best approach to help the student? As an educator, obviously, and, and you mentioned it briefly just now, you, you know, you mentioned bullying. And obviously, bullying is a universal, unfortunate, you know, stigma that's everywhere. And obviously, it comes in different uh, flavors and, and, and colors, so to speak. How, how are you handling those instances over there? And how, what made you, what, what was things that you thought about differently with regards to how those instances happened there versus here? This is kind of where the spark actually came for my project culture to grow. Um, everyone always can see the differences. They're basically there on the top, the surface and in society celebrates differences, which is super important, but sometimes we overlook like identifying what those similarities are between us. Um, and because if you can, if you find out someone speaks the same language or interested in the same language, you can really break down that cultural barrier pretty quickly. Anime, uh, sports, soccer worldwide is extremely popular. Someone likes Manchester United, maybe another person in a completely different part of the world likes them as well. Boom, they have a connection that that cultural barrier, those issues break down. So whenever I would see any bullying or issues when I was overseas, it was always trying to find a common connection between the students to bring them together. And I can even kind of set it up, hey, Johnny, I know that you like this. And the other kids may not have even known that. And then you slowly can build that connection. Video games are actually another great way as well. Uh, now Agreed. with the youth, more and more video games are becoming popular. So kind of highlighting that aspect as well. Um, teachers have to know what's going on in the children's lives. You can't just assume you know everything and not care about it. You need to know 
what the latest game is. What, what's the popular movie out? You got to kind of know the interest of your students. Super important. I agree. I think that, and I've been seeing it lately with, with people who I'm, I'm friendly with, that they're doing more esports and, and video game curriculums and, and tailoring them around those interests because there's, they're realizing that there's an underrepresented community of individuals who really want to be in that space and just have never had the opportunities to really flourish in that space. And I think that seeing that and what you just said, you have to think a little bit outside of the box with teaching, especially because you're literally fighting for attention. You're fighting it with the phone. You're fighting with streaming. You're fighting with video games. You're fighting with everything else. So you're constantly having to up your game. So with that said, how were you making yourself different when it came to your students? Was it like, oh, you know, Mr. Bellino's the cool teacher or oh, Mr. Bellino knows about video games or I could talk to him about sports. Like what were things when you started teaching abroad that you said, you know, these are great things that are going to help me stand out? Yeah, I mean, as, as a teacher, we're always taught never become their friends because then you lose that, you know, if they start doing their homework, then you're, you're going to have a major issue. But then I was also raised that video games are bad. They, they create lazy people. They're against the education system. You know, right. if you're playing video games, you're not studying. Yep. It's like, doesn't work that way anymore. I mean, now video games can be a great source of education, collaboration with teamwork. Um, it has so many benefits. So it, it's just basically trying to figure out, identifying each student's interest, giving them the time, that personalized um, time. And because class sizes are relatively bigger there, um, I think the smallest class size I had was about 35 students per class. Wow. And it went all the way up to 60. Ooh. So as a teacher, I mean, some don't even know all of the names of their students. So it's like simple thing, get the names down. If you need to create a seating chart to help you memorize them, uh, knowing names is extremely important and just a, a small thing that I recommend everyone to do. Just be aware of names and try to remember them, write them down if you have to. And it might be silly, but it will help later on. Um, so just kind of little things like that. It, it just, everything just kind of fo- focuses on that individual person. It's, it's not the group mentality. It's not self-interest of myself. Well, it's too hard. I, there's too many students. I can never do it. It's well, the ideas that you have now can't do it, but there's something out there some solution that might help. So go figure it out. You mentioned that you had, you had met your wife when you were in China as well. And um, it's interesting because obviously the cultural shift and, and a lot of, uh, obviously the language barrier you, you learned, you learned obviously how to speak Chinese um, when you were there. How did that, um, how did that come about? What was, uh, you know, how, how did you, how did you meet your wife when you were over there? Well, we actually met through online dating websites. So it's a, Global thing. Everyone's doing it. Maybe yep. not always the best route, um, but it, it did work out for us with being two working, busy individuals. The online option was the best, um, but we did meet. And actually, a quick story, not to kind of go into too much of a tangent. We actually, our first date was actually at, in China, they have these parks where the grandparents or the parents will basically write kind of like a, a, a profile or a top five list of their child and trying to be matchmakers. <laughs> uh, so my, my first interaction with my wife was just, she was actually talking with another person saying, look, he's American. He's, he has a good job, money, and, and trying to set me up. And I was like, what's going on? This is the weirdest date ever. Like, man, he's trying to set me up, but another person and I'm on a date. Um, and then we just kind of ended up working things out and, and we're happily married for 
uh, now five years and have a two-year-old daughter. So it's been a great adventure. No, I think, I think it, it, I wanted to touch on that because obviously you're, you're learn you're dating in another country and the, the cultural, uh, the cultural differences that the, the approach to, and I, and I say it in quotes to the game of dating is completely different. Like you just said, you're over there and you're like, you're trying to set me up with somebody else. Like what's happening? You know, it's, it's very, it's very different. And a lot of people may be like, ah, oh, that's, that's interesting. And it leads me into the work that you're doing with your podcast, because your podcast is exactly that you're showcasing differences, but in a way that you're, making them a way to build a bridge between different people. Like you, you touched on first day of school traditions in your last episode. And that's, that's universal. Everyone goes to school. Everyone does something for with their kids. The first day, whether it's making your kid take the picture with the sign, which I'm guilty of or, um, or, or something else. So I want to talk about that because I want to get into what inspired you to start this podcast and, explore this particular outlet because this is incredibly unique yeah i mean most people they are if, if it's anything about the world or the globe they're looking for travel destinations and that's basically the list is quite thin it's they're looking for safety so then uh, maybe a bunch of countries are just completely removed from their list their bucket list or also as well like beaches so then any of those landlocked countries might be thrown out as well um so it's just kind of like the common way to research or learn about other places around the world it's just through travel maybe a documentary maybe a tv show is aired there and they find out oh wow the lord of the rings was there um but beyond that they don't ever really try to learn about the culture learn about the people um and then with media media will basically push the political side of things which then will make the people just be the same as the politics but when i was in china and i remember when i came back the first time from living in china they're asking questions like the communist party are they watching you like is there cameras in your home like i'm like no like i didn't even really <laughs> feel it i felt like i was more free there like I, I don't know and and they just had these assumptions and it's like what about the people like are they really proud of the country i'm like well yeah just like any country they they do love their country and they're happy but they're still normal people um so just trying to find a way to just i don't know if there's myths stereotypes biases and even just like misinformation, you got to unlearn things and just relearn some things at times. I think that's a big that's a big uh, elephant in the room that with people that we are we're conditioned to kind of focus on that. I tell people all the time and I say it and it's almost cliched. I go, listen, you go in a room full of kids, different races, different nationalities, different places. You put them in a room, you drop a bucket full of toys in that room. All the kids are going to play together. And the thing about it is there's no, where are you from? Who are you? It's, Hey, look at these blocks or, Hey, look at these GI Joes or, Hey, look at this. Because like you were saying before, like anime things, it's universal. It's kind of, and and I hate to say this. It's like, listen, you know, kids are a blank canvas and parents are the ones that kind of paint that canvas. And sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. Exactly. And I mean, and that's where I love where, the world or the U.S. is going. We are celebrating differences. Uh, but at, at sometimes it's one month is dedicated to this and then we move on and then we move on. And it's why can't we get everyone together, you know, share all of our differences together, celebrate, um, learn from each other and get that commonality. Um, of course, celebrating is very important, but then also just trying to figure out where those 
lines connect and it's like, whoa, I had no idea you're doing that. Or you have that same issue. If you got two people working on it, they always say, if you want to do it alone, it's faster. But if you want to do it with a group of people, you can usually go much further. So it's just that mindset needs to shift a little bit. No, I, I agree. And I think that one of the scary things with that, especially you know, in our, in our current climate is exactly that. There's celebra- celebration of individuality, but the problem is that within those celebrations of individuality, there's not much more to drive forth unity. Like, I remember when I was a kid and they celebrated, uh, I believe they did it for Kwanzaa. And I remember we had a teacher and she kind of did, did like a lesson about it. Like, she was like, hey, you know, these are what the candles are for. This is what this is for. This is what it represents. And the thing about it was that even even though here I am, you know, 42 years old to having this conversation with you, I remember that. And you're learning about it. It's like, hey, you know, people celebrate this holiday. This is what they do. And people will be like, how do you know that? And it's like because it's just something it's something, you know, something that you were you were informed about, you were taught. And I think that that's where we kind of lose sight of this stuff because, hey, let's celebrate this holiday. But do you even know what this holiday is? You know, like, like, hey, let's celebrate the Eid. Okay, that's great. What is it? Can, is somebody telling the kids about it? Does anybody telling the, the kids, hey, you know, your your classmate is fasting? Like, you know, don't, don't, don't offer him a donut. You know, like there's, there's, there's that fine line of, hey, we're going to give you this because obviously we want to help everybody feel represented. But we're not giving people the whys or the how to understand them. Exactly. I mean, when you said the donut, most kids are like, oh, they're rejecting this donut. They don't like donuts. Like, yep. oh, this person's weird. Yep. No, there's a whole nother layer behind it. He, he or she loves donuts, wants to eat it, but can't. Right. Um, so it's kind of a, such a struggle. And I think with, and that's always what teachers have these days. It's, it's the curriculum. Like, well, you're teaching kids this, you're teaching kids that. And even something like you mentioned there, learning about holidays or different things could create kind of criticism, could create yep. commotion, fight, pushback. And it's, they're just kind of seeing that instant, like, this is how it's impacting our children, our students, but long term, like you remember it now, like, and if, if you met someone that celebrated, then you can have that simple conversation and the barrier is broken. And then you can have a really good connection with that person. So it's just the value is focused on that instant rather than the long term. Yeah, I think I think at the end of the day, you know, there was a there was a big there was a big discussion recently about um, you know, sexual orientation with children and people were like, "Oh, you know, should should parents, you know, should this be taught, not taught?" And I'm not going to get into the uh, the political ramifications of that, but I I say this. Instead of focusing on my kids shouldn't or shouldn't should or shouldn't learn this, how about let's t- let's learn about the basic tenet of just being a better human, meaning like, hey, if a if a student says like, hey, I have, you know, two dads, like instead of worrying, instead of focusing on he has two dads, you should focus on, hey, you know, that's cool. You know, what are they both like? You know what I mean? Like just broad strokes, being a better human. And I feel that sometimes that gets lost to your point in just the 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 intricacies of the institution of learning where people will sit there and they'll go, Hey, you know, don't teach my kid this. And I said, okay, that's great. You know, that's awesome. I agree. Don't teach my kid this, but just teach them how to understand it at minimum so that your kid, guess what can go home and educate the parent. Hey mom. Hey dad, you know, like 
that's not how it works. Yeah, for, kids can be teachers for their parents, like thousand percent parents. Yeah, thousand percent. I learned. I listen. My daughter's going to turn four, and I'm learning. I'm learning from her all the time, and more importantly, I'm learning how to just be exactly what I always joke, like what I said, and I say jokingly, like being a better human. Because yeah. you know, kids, kids are just they're they're non. They're the most honest and the and and the most wholesome of us. And then as time progresses, obviously that changes. But, you know, hey, dad, why don't you like that? Why'd you get mad that that guy cut you off? And then you're like, yeah, why did I get that bad? And it makes you question, like, what the hell are you doing? You know, exactly. Yeah, they, I mean, they they have no filters. They, they will say it as directly as needed. And sometimes it's like, yeah, I actually should reconsider that. Yep. Um, and when you were talking about how the being a better human per, uh, being and everything and I, I saw on the news, Kanye West was talking about friends. He said, you know, friends isn't funny. And this kind of triggered the next thing was because I, a lot of people that I meet around the world that are, they need English. So how do they learn English? They learn English by watching friends. Yep. Well, I'm kind of like, I, I enjoyed friends, of course, but I'm not a big fan of it because they will constantly rewatch it. They'll just watch it multiple times and that's all they're there. And I'm like, that's not what society looks like. Like, no, nope. we'll check out modern family where you have, you know, two dads, you have, Maybe an older gentleman and a younger woman married. It's like there's so many different dynamics now that traditional boyfriend, girlfriend, friends environment. It's not reality. So go see other things. Don't just get stuck in that one bubble. I mean, listen, I I remember, you know, like people people always were big into Seinfeld, and I was like, I could give I could give a damn less about it. And I remember there was one episode, and there was like the whole big controversy about the Puerto Rican Day Parade and blah blah blah. And I was like, listen. Everybody's upset about it, but the thing about it is that this show, the microcosm of this show is completely removed in some respects to what New York is really like. Going back to what you were saying with friends, it's the same thing. It's like, listen, like I remember somebody was like, you know, you didn't really see any minorities on friends. And I'm like, it took you 10 years to figure that out, you know, like things like that. Like people are just, hey, how do you not see that was a big thing with um when they brought back sex in the city and they were just like, Oh, we're going to, we're going to do this. We're going to represent this. And I'm like, yeah, that's great and all, but what is it doing? What is it changing? Nothing. You know, it's like, Hey, we just, we're just showing you what New York is really like, or we're showing you what Chicago is really like. And it's like, uh, yeah, that's awesome. Like my wife, she watches, um, you know, one Chicago. So, you know, Chicago fire, Chicago PD, et cetera. So you watch it and I'm like, man, there's a lot of stuff going on over there. And, you know, you get this this preconceived notion about it, but it's like, that's not it. You're getting you're getting what what the the television show is painting, but it's not 100 percent accurate either. Exactly. And, and that's why with my podcast, I try to interview people that are there, um, either high school students, college students, um, freshly graduated individuals where they have that mindset. But at the same time, this is one person. This is not the whole country. This yep. is their individual traditions, culture. They're giving a little bit of a bigger perspective. But you and I, being from different places, we have similarities. But of course, there's some differences. Um, Chicago pizza is always uh, the best in the U.S. So little <laughs> things like that. See, that, that's a good one. Now, now, in a perfect world, I would say Chicago pizza is is lasagna but you know that doesn't that that doesn't mean that's the funny part and and this is where people get hung up it's like listen it's flour cheese and sauce it's the preparation that's different but at the end of the day 
I tell people all the time and they laugh. I go, listen, you buy pasta. Unless the pasta is made fresh and you know it's made fresh, you could be eating a box of Ronzoni for $60. and <laughs> You don't know it. Think, think about it. Think about it. If you go to a store and you see all these pastas, like, and you bring them home, unless you're, you're, you're um, culturally around pasta, you're not going to know that that's Bertoli or that's Ronzoni or that's the dollar store, uh, dollar store yeah. brand. You're not, you're not going to know. Yeah. The only thing is, is overcooked or undercooked. Yeah. That's yeah. That, that's kidding. a tenant that, yeah, you, you'll know that immediately. But in terms of the ingredients, it's like, listen, unless you're, you're, you're certifiable in that, because like I said, it's a cultural thing, you'd know like this is, this is box pasta, but otherwise you're not going to know. Like I always laugh. People go, they'll buy a, you know, a, a chicken Parmesan dish, they'll pay 30 bucks for it. And it's like, listen, that breaded chicken, it, do you know it's breaded chicken or do you know that somebody actually breaded or is it a bag of breaded chicken that came out of a freezer that got some sauce poured on it that now tastes better because the sauce was homemade? Yeah, this is, I'm glad you're telling me this now because we got our five year anniversary coming up in October. So maybe I could convince her to do something simple at home. You know, we're paying $60 for this. We don't need it. It could be just a, yep. a box or something. So, well, that's, you know, well, that's can... the whole thing. Like if somebody says, hey, our pasta is fresh made, like, you know, the difference because they'll bring it out to you. It's, it's going to have a different texture. It's going to be, you know, like you'll know. But yeah. when you go to like, I always laugh. People go to like the Olive Garden or they'll go to some of these other places. And I go, listen, man, it could just be a box of industrial size macaroni back there that's getting boiled. And getting some seasoning thrown on it, and it's coming out. Then you're paying thirty bucks for it. Yeah, a big, massive box and a big bowl, and just kind of constantly adding it to it. But there you go. That's definitely what it is. So I want to switch gears a little bit and go into what we like to call the hot seat. It's a series of rapid fire questions based on uh, some of our conversation. Uh, Some of it's obviously business related. Some of it is trade related. Some of it is toys related. Just to add a little bit of a human element. So I want to kind of start with more so how you operate as an educator and when you're getting ready to to teach for the year what what's what's a typical day for you like uh so in in regards to just the the teaching component and getting ready to making sure that you got the kind of the headline or the the theme created for the year and everyone wants to make sure that you have kind of like a purpose a mission um even at those younger ages you need to make sure that there's a goal set and the students understand what that goal is early so there's lots of quotes and captions and amazing bulletin boards you can do. So I think just kind of having that and it's a constant reminder throughout the year that they can look at um, to kind of know that they need to refocus at times or just know where that mission is for that either term or year. It's very important. How do you structure how do you structure your lessons? Do you uh, spec them out in like Microsoft Word or do, do you kind of just take notes throughout the year as you start preparing for the following year? What's your process like in terms of just building your own approach to the curriculum? Yeah, it's usually through Microsoft Word. Um, and basically what I'll do is I have a lot already created. And then I'm always, before the year starts, kind of checking it, adding to it, remembering, making notes when I can. The comments are always amazing to kind of say, hey, this didn't work. Fix it next year. So then it will kind of remind me. Things go on so quickly. I mean, the year goes quickly. Teachers get burned out. Um, so it's a good time in the summer to just kind of look back at it and kind of a refresh reminder, hey, this didn't work, fix it. So then you have an easier year the next time. It's just constantly improving is the goal. Asking questions from other educators. What are you doing? What worked? What didn't work? Um, everyone wants to talk about the success stories, but it's those uh, mistakes are, is the most valuable, I, I believe. 
how do you how do you decompress after after a day of teaching? Uh, the most thing is with my daughter. I mean, just playing with her. She's two years old, still in that exploration phase. Kind of everything is new to her, so just kind of watching her, and we'll, we kind of laugh about random things. The uh, most recent was we put a balloon kind of in the back, tied it to our pants, and running around like we have a tail. And just seeing the laughter coming from that simple, silly thing, it's just like, okay, life is life is still amazing. So it just kind of has to remind me of these little small uh, activities. Do you bring a co- your own uh, computer with you into the classroom? Yeah, so uh, I have a MacBook Air and, and all of the information is there. And then we're kind of connected with the Google platform. So the drive has all of the resources. Um, if the internet ever goes down, it gets chaotic in, in the teacher's world. Oh, man, really? So what do you do when that happens? How do you how do you adapt? Uh, you try to do the best you can. You troubleshoot. You basically throw out your whole lesson plan. <laughs> nowadays, most of it is connected technology. Uh, go back to the roots. Most likely, the book will have some type of activities. Um, try to figure out what you're talking about and kind of maybe do an ex- like kind of magnifying glass. Go in a little bit deeper rather than kind of just focusing on the surface. Um, it's just finding the best way to pivot. And not really letting the students know that this was not the, the plan. Uh, just kind of keep it going. The flow has to keep moving or disruption will happen and that'll snowball. And then you're, it's all out of control. It's not the old, uh, oh, here comes the black cart with the TV. <laughs> <laughs> TV time. Yeah, I remember that rolling down. You can hear it from a couple classrooms away when yep. it's coming down. Absolutely. Um, what's the first place you go to when you open your phone? Uh, the first place I would open is this. I'm not sure if I can talk about apps, but it's a, an app called HelloTalk, which is basically my instant connection to the world. Uh, the app basically brings language learners together, and everyone has learned different language, um, and then that's where I can learn about different cultures. Um, there's a lot of languages in the world, so it's not necessarily the best to just dive into many of them at the same time, but it's great to just kind of meet different people around the world and learn about the cultures that they have. What were three mobile apps you couldn't live without when you were teaching abroad? Three mobile apps. Well, the main thing when I was abroad, most of the apps are not accessible. Um, I would probably have to say the communication side of things like the either a messenger system uh, to make sure I can communicate back home with parents uh, would definitely be one. Um, I had like a sports app. I'm being from Chicago. We love sports, part of the culture. So ha- being aware of the sports just because the time zones are just completely off. I couldn't watch them live or really right. know what was going on. Um, and then I would also say probably anything related to news. Uh, there are a couple of different news apps just so that I'm aware of what's going on um, back at home. And then of course, where I am just to be kind of aware if things are changing or things to kind of just keep notice, not really necessarily act on, but just be aware so that the safety piece is important. There you go. What was, what's a favorite piece of tech besides your phone or computer? Uh, favorite piece of tech would have to be, I got to go old school here. I got the coffee maker. Like that is such a essential part of my life. It gives me that boost. You need to have energy every day when I go into work. It's You need to just be able to kind of put aside whatever issues or a lack of sleep the night before it just get ready to go. And that coffee can always kind of, overcome anything with a little bit of a boost are you a keurig pods person or like old school percolator old school we're gonna i mean just with the coffee grounds and then if i want to really uh step it up i'll, I'll get the 
you know, the fresh beans and then kind of do that whole process myself. But nice. um, the, the simplicity is always the nice. I mean, the pod works, but um, sometimes you just miss the whole process is always sometimes uh, gives me a sense of tranquility. Yeah, I don't drink hot coffee, but I like uh, cold, cold brew coffee. So I like to yeah. grind my own beans. Same thing. Put it in, let it let it steep. So definitely a big fan of just that old school, just picking the beans, knowing what you're going to get. The, it, it never gets old. Oh, yeah. What was the last thing you looked up on YouTube? Uh, last thing I looked up on YouTube. I am one thing that I'm trying to figure out a lot of um, is anything related to leadership. So although I'm, you know, working with students on a daily basis, it's still I don't necessarily feel like a leader. Like they're not my troops. They're not like directly under me. So just trying to learn, like, how do you lead other people that rely on you? Um, or you are the boss of them. Uh, students, it's kind of like, a, yes, the teacher does have the hierarchy, but they're still almost equal with the parents behind them. Uh, so it's, yeah, I'm just trying to learn the different strategies of how to lead. What was something you purchased lease recently that is less than $100 and it's made your life easier or just more enjoyable? I would have to say it's the five-minute journal. I think it was around like $29 or maybe maybe $20. Um, and this was amazing because I hear all these people around me, you know, they're journaling, they're taking the time to write this out. And I'm sitting there thinking, I can't sit at a table for an hour with my screaming daughter running around. So the five minute journal was great. It's like, it literally takes five minutes in the morning, five minutes at night. Um, and it's very simple and it kind of allows me to keep pace with my goals and kind of also highlight those success things that lots of people will overlook as they're just like, what's next? What's next? You don't get to kind of celebrate the small victories in life. Has journaling made you a better operator, so to speak? Yes, it has uh, made me a better and helped me be more realistic. I, I've realized the goals. And then at the end of the day, I would say, did I accomplish the goal? No. Um, so then I realized I have to modify the goals to make them realistic. Have that big goal at the end, but find smaller things that you can do in the day to accomplish it rather than kind of forcing myself to basically fail. Like if you set the goal too high, and you fail, it just kind of puts you in a, a very kind of a down spiral mindset. So I, I really learned to just have smaller goals and just track the progress. It's, it's good for the momentum. I agree. I agree. I think that people sometimes they, they create this larger narrative and I go, listen, stop moving the goalposts. You know, like when you watch football, it's like, listen, it's a game of, it's a game of inches. You know, there's, there's a first down as you make your way across the field. I think that people should look at life the same way. It's like, listen, here's a first down. Like, hey, I did this. Great. Here's the next thing. Oh, I got another first down until they get until they get to that goal. I am fully in agreement with that. What was the last book you read? The last book I read, I'm, I'm trying to catch up. I basically became a reader after college. So there's all these books that I'm kind of far behind and the list is always growing. Um, and this is still kind of tied to leadership. It's the seven habit, uh, habits of a successful Person, I believe highly effective people, yep. highly effective people. There we yep. go. And that was the book. And everyone has constantly said it's such a great book and it's been on the list for a long time. So I finally got a chance to read it and it was very eye opening to kind of help me realize my, my own habits. Sometimes you're not aware of the things you do on a daily basis. We're creature of habits sometimes for good, but sometimes also for bad. What was the last TV show you watched right now? I have to say the Lord of the Rings new uh, ring of power. Just, I love Lord of the Rings. I love that medieval swords magic component and it's back and then house of dragons is on as well so it's like a 
Friday, Sunday is like, whoa. And then Saturday, I can kind of rest and relax a bit. Nice. What was your favorite toy when you were a kid? I'm going to probably have to give you two if that's all right. Please. The, the, the one thing was, you know, in life, what I've noticed uh, now with a young child, everything is bigger and, and you want the bigger items and it's better. And I love growing up micro machines where there's little small cars yep. or the small tanks. And it was just kind of cool to use that imagination. Um, and then on every uh, Christmas list of Santa was, of course, Legos. Um, and I've, I've been able to kind of still love Legos and I've kind of shifted it to kind of add to what I do. So I have the like last year I bought the DEI Lego set with uh, shows the representation of different people. Um, and this year I got the globe. Um, so I'm trying to, you know, still cool. love that passion, but tie it to what I do. You know, it's funny. They actually brought back micro machines. I was at Toy Fair before the pandemic happened and there was a big push. They had brought back micro machines. They actually had the big uh, car carrier that they used to do. They would fold and you could put all the micro machines in it. Oh, yes. I didn't know it was back. I, yeah. I haven't been seeing anything really too much in the local Targets or Walmarts. So yeah. I didn't know if it was... All right. Yeah. Wow. Uh, figure you want to share that with the little one down the road. Obviously, at two, you don't want her to eat it, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I kind of say, like, don't eat it. Lesson learned and, and just kind of go with it because I think it's such a great thing to play with. Absolutely. Um, who is your favorite content creator? Content creator. Because uh, I'm part of the underdog, should I say uh, Noah Kagan would probably be uh, the top. He kind of introduced me to this realm of underdogs that have supported me along this journey. It's very hard to kind of do multiple tasks at once, but with all of the support and experiences from all of you, it made the process much easier. What brought you to Noah's content? Uh, just the, the the passion to kind of expand and, and kind of know that there's other opportunities out there, um, different techniques to approach it. Um, he's done a lot of different things, and I know he's working on like maybe different routes with either YouTube content or different topics constantly. So just always trying to use those refreshing ideas is, is great. What is something you've changed your mind on in the last 12 months? Changed my mind on in the last 12 months. Um, probably has to do with, because I am in, uh, my wife is from China. So we have those cultural differences constantly. Um, and I, I probably, the, the biggest thing is actually uh, drinking hot water in the summer months when I'm sick. Uh, I was always against that. I was always like, I'm not drinking hot water in right. the summer. Uh, but she's kind of constantly pushed it on there. And I, I realized it does have a slight benefit. So I, I was able to change my mind on that. That's kind of a cultural piece. And she's happy as well with that. <laughs> That's pretty good. What is a business milestone that you're proud of? Business milestone would probably be um, I, I held the Global Cultural Peer Exchange, uh, which brought uh, students from 25 different countries together into like a Zoom event. Um, and that was pretty amazing because just having students from all these different places, just talking casually, building connections really helped, you know, the the world. And that even that little small piece of those kids involved. Um, and, and some of them were able to kind of connect through Instagram and other social media channels and kind of took it further beyond just my event. So I think that's probably the most successful business thing that I've done recently. What's a myth that you try to dispel when you're an educator? Uh, the main thing is that there's there's not one way to accomplish the goal. Lots of people are set in stone saying my way is the best. Um, but in reality, there's lots of different shortcuts or um, different methods or styles that may actually be better due to your either your learning experience, if you're auditory or visual learner or however style it is. It's just 
always constantly seek ways to enhance your tool belt, you can say. What's something you splurge on when it comes to business and personal development? Splurge on um, would probably have to be uh, probably actually one thing would be probably like books about different cultural pieces, um, cultures around the world, how to interact with culture, uh, global citizenship, um, anything related to the world and kind of blending um, them together, kind of like identifying the, the pros and cons um, and kind of seeing it all in one book. is always nice. It's hard to sometimes Google and the web has just so many different links or options you can go to. So when the book brings everything together, it, it makes my life a little bit easier. Nice. What is a piece of career advice you would tell your younger self? The main advice that I would probably tell myself is just try and ask. You, you never know what the outcome is. Lots of times I kind of already imagine the rejection in my head. So then it kind of deters me from even asking. But I've learned that if you just ask, you, you might actually get something that you were very shocked to get. So purely just ask is, is very important. How do you handle failure? Um, I, I take a few minutes to definitely kind of let it soak in. Um, and then I realize that it's the game of probability. The more times you ask, the more times you do it, the, the, the odds of you succeeding is going to go up. Um, so I kind of just focus on that math side of things. I don't like math at all, but probability is something that has stuck with me. What's a piece of personal or business advice you've received over the years that always resonates with you? Uh, advice that resonates with me. Um, I think, I mean, one piece would just be the consistency, you know, one foot forward every day. Um, life will throw obstacles. They'll push you back. They'll uh, maybe want force you to want to quit and give up. And it's just keep getting through and pushing through um, because it's just going to, the, the success doesn't come instantly. You may not see success until a year later, five years later. Um, so you just got to have to keep doing it and keep modifying and uh, putting the content or whatever you're doing out there. What is something that brings a smile to your face? Um, so on the face, probably anything, probably with my daughter when she's exploring new things, um, she's kind of opening different things. We watched, uh, with football being back, we watched Thursday night football together and just hearing her say football. Like it, <laughs> it was, a, it was a great thing. It's like, I, I'm kind of showing her my, my interests and I didn't necessarily teach her that, but she's kind of probably watching me. I, I'm mirroring this, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably the best. That is, a, that is an amazing feeling. Besides uh, watching Thursday Night Football, what else do you watch with her? Well, we, usually we, get, it's, it's, we kind of break it into her time and my time for TV. And it's kind of the repeat. Right now, she's in that age of Coco Melon, yep. um, which is I enjoy, but it is on repeat. So after yes. this time, it's like, oh, can we change it to something else? Uh, so Sesame Street is a good uh, adjustment. And uh, Peppa Pig is popular right now for her as well. Wow. Yeah. My, my daughter went through the Peppa phase. She is now in the bluey phase. Um, I, I feel like it changes very quickly. Like it'll be like, yes. nope, done next. It's like, what? You love this for two months. Like what? Yep. I sh I, I know I have a Peppa mall and a bunch of Peppa toys. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> now I just sit in the corner. Yep. Now they're just sitting in the corner, but the beauty of it is this wonderful thing called eBay. So I go, all right, let's, let's, uh, let's do a purge and start putting stuff on eBay. And that way, you know, I always joke about, uh, sell your drugs to buy more drugs. It's like, all right, we'll sell all this stuff and then we'll get you some other stuff. Hopefully you don't tell her, you know, you know it's at another home, right? Yep. I don't know if she would be, be allowing you to just sell off her toys.
Well, you know what's happening too? Then she's getting into the stuff we watch. So like she's, you know, we started watching He-Man. So they wow, brought back like awesome. the toys. So I got her like He-Man and Skeletor and she um, did a show and tell and they're like, oh, what's your favorite toy? And she's like, this is Skeletor and all these. And it's funny because like the teachers are like similar age to, to me and they're all laughing. And they're like, oh, who taught you about Skeletor? My dad. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a great thing. It's like, oh, great. The next parent-teacher conference will be a great conversation. Absolutely. So now that we've kind of run that, there's a one thing I always like to do, which is reach one, teach one. And I kind of structure it based on uh, different uh, conversations we've had with a guest throughout the episode. So in your case, um, being being a, an academic, you know, you're being asked to give a commencement speech to high school seniors to prepare them for the world. What's one piece of lasting advice you'd give them to wrap up the speech? Um, yeah, that's, I guess the, the main piece would definitely be something related to, you know, although you, you if it's for high school, so you graduated from high school, all four years of the curriculum, you've done grammar school, middle school, you've been given all this curriculum from books and resources, however the teacher kind of prepared it, but know that there's still information out there that the teachers are not experts on or know exists. So you have to go out on your own to go learn and discover the world, kind of test those theories, those uh, dates, those anything that you learn, like go out in the world and test it. Go, if you're talking about something with history, go to those locations and, and put your foot on the soil of where that happened and talk to the people, like go and discover it for yourself. Don't just assume that all the information that's passed down to you is accurate. Um, even that could be filled with biases or situ- issues or changes. So just go out and learn on your own. Outstanding. Austin, where can people find your work and how to connect with you? Uh, so the, the main place is if you can search Culture to Grow from any major podcasting um, app or location. Um, and then the best route would be through LinkedIn. You can kind of connect with me if you're interested to learn more about the world or just talk about anything. I'm, I'm up for a great chat. Awesome. Links to everything Austin and I discussed will be in the show notes for this episode. Austin, thank you so much for taking the time to share the toys and tech of your trade. Thank you. I appreciate the time. I always enjoy showcasing all of the great, talented folks from the underdog community. Uh, There's so many more folks whose stories I cannot wait to share with all of you. Everything Austin and I discussed in this conversation will be linked in the show notes. As always, full disclosure, some of those items may contain affiliate links, which if you click any, we will receive a small commission, which of course goes towards making this and everything else from RageWorks better for you, the listener. As always, calls to action. If you want to keep up with RageWorks, you can find us everywhere. You can also find the RageWorks podcast network if you want to strictly keep up with our podcast work. On Twitter and Instagram, just put in RageWorks Podcast Network and you will find us there. If you'd like to be a guest on a future episode of Toys and Tech of the Trade, shoot me an email, rich at rageworks.net or visit our website, rageworkspodcastnetwork.com or rageworksnetwork.com, excuse me. Um, And feel free to fill out the contact form, enter your information there, and we will get back to you as soon as possible and set up a conversation. Last but not least, as always, Thank you guys for all of your attention, all of your support. By the time this podcast comes out, if you are in the New York area, there will be a podcasting uh, networking event that I will be speaking at on October 9th. 
So by the time you hear this, it would be the following weekend. Um, I'll be there talking about running the Rageworks podcast network and doing just more things to make the space better. So if you're in the New York area or even in the tri-state area and are interested in checking it out, leveling up your podcasting game, or hell, if you need somebody to help you launch a podcast and let me help you and let the Rageworks Podcast Network be uh, the conduit to get your message out to the masses. We're always looking to work with great and talented individuals and also share amazing shows with our audience. So whether you're looking for a network partner that can give you the exposure you need to get your message out there, or you're looking for somebody to take over all of the heavy lifting, editing, distributing, all of the fun stuff that people don't want to do with a podcast, let us help you. I'm going to put a link for the event in the show notes for this episode. I am also going to include a promo code so that if you are interested in attending, you can get a ticket for zilch free nada. But again, we're going to just put that in the show notes for this episode. So if you are someone who does read the show notes and are in New York city and would like to attend, definitely look for the promo code there. And I look forward to seeing you. If you do attend, would love to, meet more people face-to-face, especially as the world slowly uh, becomes a more face-to-face kind of place. With that said, thank you all for listening to this week's episode of Toys and Tech of the Trade. Make sure, as I said, to check the show notes for links to everything Austin and I discussed. And if you want to connect with Austin as well or be a guest on his podcast, we will include that too. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you in two weeks. Peace.
Toys and Tech of the Trade is part of the RageWorks Podcast Network, your source for rants about gaming, entertainment, and the works. Visit us at RageWorksNetwork.com.